Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. Today, we are chatting about a topic that I have been getting quite a lot of questions about recently, and that is fertility. A lot of my friends and acquaintances are in the stage of their lives where they are thinking about having a baby, and so I've been getting a lot of questions about this, and I'm not sure if you are aware, but we have quite a fertility crisis on our hands right now. Sperm count is going down, and more and more women are having difficulty conceiving. It can be very stressful and emotional, and you know, it's hard. This is part of a function of all of the endocrine disruptors in our environment. You know this is one of the big reasons why I'm so passionate about people switching their personal care products over to safer and non-toxic options. That's why I am so passionate about my work as a beauty counter consultant and just educating people on the fact that it is so important to pay attention to what is in your environment, on your skin, on your body, what you're eating out of, what you're breathing in, all of that affects our health. I feel like it's more common than not now for any woman you talk to to have some kind of hormone imbalance, but thankfully there are a lot of natural remedies we have for that. And one of those is actually Ned Full Spectrum Hemp Oil. You guys know that I am very picky about what goes in and on my body. And when it comes to a CBD oil, I want something that is not only highly effective, the most effective thing out there, but also the best quality on the market. And that is Ned's full spectrum hemp oil. All of their products are organic, sourced from local farms and communities. And the only ingredients are the cannabidiol, the full range of other phytocannabinoids, and non-GMO MCT oil. So no other flavorings or filler ingredients like a lot of other companies have. And that full spectrum of phytocannabinoids is the magic of Ned's full spectrum hemp oil. You're not getting the full benefits when you just have CBD. You want the CBD as well as the other cannabinoids like CBG, CBC, CBDA, CBGA, and of course those lovely smelling hemp terpenes. And the extraction process is so important. Ned only extracts from the hemp flowers, also known as the buds, as opposed to the stalks and seeds of the hemp plant like a lot of other brands do. And they only use a very gentle, slow ethanol-based extraction method done at room temperature. High heat and high pressure will compromise the profile of the hemp flower and its cannabinoid content. And Ned infuses all of their products with love, gratitude, and positive vibrations. They attune all of their products to binaural beats. 
which is nature's healing frequency. Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil will help to balance out your endocannabinoid system, which is the balancing system in the body that affects all of the other systems in the body. And this can help with insomnia as a sleep aid in general, help you calm down. It helps with anxiety, depression, PTSD. It can act as a natural anti-inflammatory, a natural pain reliever, and it's a rich source of antioxidants. I love full-spectrum hemp oil also for balancing out hormones. Again, it's a balancer. And in addition to their original full-spectrum hemp oil, Ned also has their natural cycle collection, which is designed for women specifically to help regulate your period completely and naturally and balance out your hormones. They have their hormone balance blend, which is for general hormonal balancing, and then their period ease blend, which makes your period so much easier, as well as their period soothe salve. This seriously saves me anytime I have any type of stomach cramp and their Energize Roll-On. Ned's Full Spectrum Hemp Oil is uh, so effective and really the best stuff out there on the market. Please don't be duped by all of these other brands that market themselves as CBD and don't even put CBD in the bottle. You would be amazed at how many companies do that. Studies have shown it. Ned is truly the best you can get and I stand behind it 100% and so many people have told me that nothing else has worked for them and Ned's Full Spectrum Hemp Oil completely changed the game for them. So if you want to check out Ned's Full Spectrum Hemp Oil, just go to helloned.com and you can go ahead and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off. Personally, I use the 1500 milligram each evening, sometimes the 750, but I would recommend starting with the 300 milligram and you can work your way up. I just put a dropper's worth under my tongue, leave it there for 30 seconds and then swallow and I am so chilled out for the rest of the night and it helps so much with my inflammation. So again, if you want to check out the Ned products, then just go to helloned.com and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off. And speaking of balancing hormones, let's chat about today's guest. Today I am talking with Sarah Clark. Sarah is a certified life coach and a health coach from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And Sarah is a fertility expert. It all started with her own health journey, which she will get into more in this episode, but she had been diagnosed with premature ovarian failure. She had both of her kids through in vitro fertilization and then Years later, she realized the root cause of her infertility was actually a gut infection and food sensitivities, so she made it her mission to help women naturally conceive even when they've been told that they can't. Sarah is the author of Fabulously Fertile, Supercharge Your Fertility Naturally, and she also runs a fertility coaching program. That includes functional lab testing, and that program supports couples to make diet and lifestyle changes that dramatically improve their chances of a healthy pregnancy and baby. She also hosts the Get Pregnant Naturally podcast, and on that podcast, she talks about all things functional medicine and natural fertility solutions to help people reverse infertility. If you or someone you know is interested in getting pregnant, having trouble with their fertility, questions about it in general, you will definitely want to tune into this episode, take some notes. She has a lot of amazing information. Sarah really knows what she's doing with this. And I know that so many people really struggle with this, especially in today's environment where we have all of these stressors and all of these environmental things working against us in terms of balancing our hormones. So her work is super important. So I know you're dying to hear everything from Sarah, so let's go ahead and hop right into this interview. 
Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the podcast. I have been so excited to chat with you about all things fertility. I know that a lot of my audience is very interested in this topic and you are the expert. So maybe we can start off with you telling us a little bit about your journey to how you became a fertility coach. Yeah, awesome. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I uh, had my own journey with infertility. So I was joked I was having menopausal hot flashes. I remember being in HR at the time and fanning my face and kind of joking about that when I was doing interviewing people. And it turns out that's what it was. So I had um, regular periods. So I had uh, my periods came a couple times uh, per year. Uh, I had this weird fungal rash on my chest. I had yeast infections. And I had all of a sudden, my, in my early 20s, I started getting acne. And during my teens, I had great skin. And then fast forward, I had this um, life plan of getting married at 25 and having my kids at 28. So I went ahead and got married at 25. And um, and then when uh, so, so in between that, actually, I was put on. So when I went to my doctor and said I had irregular periods and um, acne, so the first mode of defense is to put me on uh, hormonal birth control. So I went on that, and obviously the the periods regulated, but that was a false regulation. Um, and then the acne never really improved. So I came off um, the birth control just before turning 28. Wanted to um, explore further because at that point my my cycle was still irregular. So I went to see my OBGYN and went in there and I was told I had premature ovarian failure, which is a loss of function of the ovaries before the age of 40, and told the only way I'd ever conceive would be to use donor eggs. I remember her grabbing the IVF brochure and um, telling me the news, and I was completely in shock. That was not what I expected to hear at the age of 28, that I would never be able to have my own biological children. Um, so I left there. Because I'm a person of action, I went right into action and went right to the fertility clinic, didn't think about all those other health issues I was talking about before, and so went on a list um, for a donor egg, and we're lucky enough on the first fresh transfer to have our daughter and Ava is almost 18. So this is back in the day when you said donor eggs and uh, people were like, I don't know what you're even saying. So now, yeah, now we have, you know, embryo adoption and embryo donation because of all that, all the IVF procedures um, going on that we have these little, little embryos that are waiting there. And I had someone on my podcast, um, the Get Pregnant Naturally podcast, I had someone come on and talk about their experience with embryo donation and how the natural siblings to their little two-year-old are actually 13. So um, it's kind of a science is pretty cool that way. So, um, but for me, I didn't, I didn't figure any of this stuff out with, um, with my health until years later. So, so then we, we had two embryos left over after we had our daughter and I wanted to have my, my kids close together. And then we, um, went back into the clinic. I was super stressed. My husband's like, you know, slow down, Sarah, you seem a little stressed. And I, so then I, um, I went back in and those ones didn't work. So then went on a separate list for a, a separate donor and then we're lucky enough on the first fresh transfer to have our son, and, and Will's, um, uh, he's 15. So, um, and then fast forward, so after I had my daughter, I had, I remember having like nine colds, every cold went into a science infection, I thought it was a great idea to take antibiotics for every cold, not a great idea, I destroyed all my, all the beneficial bacteria in my gut, and um, and then I started getting so I so that I got I got chronic um, science infections, chronic bladder infections, was peeing blood. Uh, I was started taking all kinds of antibiotics to help with the bladder infections. Became allergic to all of the different uh, many types of different antibiotics. At one point, I thought I had fleas because I had hives from the antibiotics. And then the yeast infections became chronic. And then I had vertigo and headaches and 
brain fog and toenail infections and dandruff and all sorts of other things that um, so my health was, you know, I was still in corporate, still working, but my, my immune system was just definitely compromised. I caught everything that, that went around. Um, and then I decided to take a life coaching course to bring that into the corporate environment. That's where I had my own personal wake up call, decided I wanted to go into health and wellness. I took a health coaching course and that's when I discovered I had these food sensitivities. So for me, I took out uh, dairy and gluten, and then later corn, and then the sinus infections, the, um, the yeast infections, the bladder infections started to disappear, and then making lifestyle change changes as well. And then a few years after that, then doing some gut testing, found, finding out that I had some gut infections, such as um, strept, uh, streptococcus and um, uh, fungal infections and H. pylori, and then cleaning those up. And then really, so my message really, though, is of using the functional approach of looking at um, functional nutrition, functional medicine, like looking at the root cause medicine um, to really figure out what's going on in your body then to, to, to get to the root cause. Because I didn't discover this till I was 40, fully in menopause. It was too late for me. But if you're still cycling naturally, there's things, there's things we can do using the functional approach. Wow, what a story. You have been through so much. And I kind of want to go back for a second and talk about when you were, you know, going through the the donor process and what that was like for you, um, just kind of like logistically and emotionally. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so this is say like 18 years ago. And so this is back in Canada where, um, the, someone was going through male factor infertility and she in turn for us paying for her procedure, we would then, um, she'd give us half her eggs and they stopped that in 2004, just after I had my son, um, in Canada that they no longer do that. But, um, so we back then would have got the donor profile. It came by mail. So, you know, back in the day it came by mail. So I was stalking the mail carrier and, and it was, you get the paternal and the maternal, um, health history back to the, the great grandparents. And so, and, but there was no picture. So now with donor profiles, you can see pictures. So we had no picture, but we had the health characteristics and education and some, some physical characteristics obviously are written down. Um, and then the, 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 the health of the family. So I'm, I'm super tall. I'm six foot. So I had, I wanted to make sure at least a, a somewhat of a tall donor. Um, I knew I wouldn't get a six foot donor, but, um, height was a thing for me. So we, you know, we got that, um, for, for both. And it's funny cause my husband's like five, eight. So I, I did want to have the height in there. <laughs> so, and my daughter is almost, she's like just a little bit taller than my husband. Um, but, um, yeah, so we, we paid for someone else to go through their procedure and then they gave us the the, um, um, eggs. And as I say, we're lucky on the first fresh transfer. Um, a lot, I get, I coach a lot of people that have decided to go through the donor egg route route and, um, they have questions about, um, you know, will you bond with the child? You know, do you, will you tell your children, you know, is, do you feel like it's not your child because it's not genetically yours? And so, I had, I didn't really have any of those issues. So I obviously beforehand, I think I, I had those concerns, but then when the baby comes, I didn't have, I knew that without me as the host, the woman being able to have, you know, the child that, um, I didn't have any issues bonding with my children. I was very, like I've written a book about this. So I'm very open about the fact I had to use donor eggs and was very open with them from as early as they could understand that mommy had to, you know, borrow another lady's eggs. And, um, 
so like really open with with them about that. And not everybody is like that. Sometimes people don't feel they want to share this with their children. I always looked at it that it was, it really had nothing to do with me. It was their genetic history that they want to know about it. One kid wants to, one, one of my kids wants to look at the that the profile, the other ones hasn't really asked or isn't really interested. So, um, yeah. And, and knowing that potentially I would get those comments and be like, you're not my mother. And like, I'm, and, and those came in the teenage years and, um, I was fine with it. Cause, uh, I don't know. I didn't really, that I didn't take it personally. And my, my, my son was always going on about where's the other mother. Tell me about the other mother. And, um, you know, we would, we would discuss a little bit, but I, I don't, know who she is it's anonymous mm, okay yeah so like legally would he or either your kids be allowed to contact them i think like it's i i don't it's not really the same but it's kind of there's databases i think in the uk i'm not sure if there's one any in in the u.s at this right stage of people that that can go when they're older to contact mm-hmm. um and if that's something they want to do they can but i'm not sure if there's something like that in the u.s at this stage um, with all of the of this, you know, donor eggs and donor sperm, potentially there could be, but I'm I'm not sure. Um, but really, like we've been very open about it, and I think now with now with this process, you actually get to see pictures, and sometimes the clinics will just show pictures of the baby when, well, of the the donor as a child, or other times they'll show them as a as a child and an adult. So when you were originally picking and going through like the different characteristics and health history, like did, were you going through a lot of people? Um, it was maybe only like two that we, oh, okay. that we, that we, yeah, I was like the first one, wasn't quite right. And the second one, I'm like, that feels good. So yeah. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm quite a decisive person. So, mm-hmm. um, that's just how I am. And so even with the, like, I didn't even get a second opinion on my diagnosis. I was like, okay. And off I went. I don't know why I did that, but I was like, I, that's just what I did. Um, looking back now, I would do it all differently, but obviously I don't regret anything. Um, but yeah, I no, that's not the case for a lot of people with, with for donors. It could take, it could take like forever to, to pick a donor. It's, it can be, I think even the, the seeing the picture could become more confusing as then you end up, do you start picking someone based on their looks? Do you get yeah. like, does, does that skew it? You know? Yeah, we're so I didn't have that. So, uh, so after you got that diagnosis, like, I mean, was that difficult for you emotionally, or were you just kind of like, okay, this is how it is. I'm just gonna deal with it. I got I, so I I am um, like a take action kind of person, and so I coach a lot of people that this diagnosis is completely like, and it is it, it is a like shocking like heartbreaking di- diagnosis and they, it takes them like quite a long time to even be ready to e- even look at going down the donor egg route. I, um, like I, I th- think the only time I really got overly, like not that I wasn't upset cause I was upset about it cause it's, it's frustrating and I wanted to be, I wanted to move forward to expand my family and I couldn't do it. I had to go through all the, I had to spend money. I had to go through all these different, um, hoops and, 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 you know, and at one point we were looking at adoption and all, you know, every friend around me at, at 28 was getting pregnant. And here I was trying to, you know, do it, donor eggs and spending all, you know, so there was, there was that, but I think, um, yeah, I think like for, for me, I, I, I did have an issue when I remember like we're going through this and I was frustrated and I thought if it didn't work, I would like take a trip around the world and quit my job. So I always had this plan B, which, you know, I'm a planner, so that's my, that's my issue. But, um, 
it was more to to be um I remember when I, I wanted to get a dog and my husband's like, I don't want to get a dog. And I'm like, oh, you know. and so I had a little melt down there and then we, we ended up getting a dog, but, um, cause I just wanted some little something, I guess, to mother. And then my daughter, my daughter came along 18 months later. So everyone's different. And, you know, obviously I've chosen this to help people in like that. They were like me to help because everyone will handle it differently. So, um, and it, yeah, that's how I handled it. But you know, yeah. So let's say, like speaking today, like let's say somebody just recently went to their doctor, they want to get pregnant and they get told that they have this. What would you recommend they do? Yeah. So basically, um, so if you have like a lot of people come to us with the like diminished ovarian reserve, low AMH, so anti-malarian hormone, um, being told that their only option is donor eggs or they have premature ovarian failure. So I would say like, if you're still cycling naturally, like using the tools of, of the functional approach of functional medicine or functional nutrition, there's definitely things we can do. So I would have them start. So basically we have our couples start with an elimination diet. So there's different stressors on the body, um, a food sensitivity, which everyone that comes to me would tell me like the majority of people tell me they're eating a clean diet when we dig into it. Um, it could be, it may be clean, but it does, these seemingly healthy foods may not be healthy for you. So there could be a food sensitivity that's undetected, a gut infection that's undetected, environmental toxin, a toxin exposure, um, uh, mental, emotional stress dealing with this. So getting honest about your, your mental, emotional stress, and then a structural stress such as, um, a pinched nerve. So all, all those matter. And I think a lot of times in the fertility side of things, people go straight to the, mental emotional side and they do a lot of work on on that but then could forget that potentially they have a gut infection or a food sensitivity and they're being exposed to you know things in the environment so i would have people start off by doing the elimination diet and then really that's taking out the top allergens which are dairy gluten soy corn peanuts and eggs so you take those out for 10 days and then systematically reintroduce them to see exactly how food impacts your body so if you have um, a food sensitivity, there's inflammation in your body and your body will make, in this case, we're dealing with infertility. It can affect other people in different ways, but, um, be it, you know, heart disease, diabetes, what, what, you know, whatever it may be. But for people that I'm dealing with, it's, it's affected their, their fertility. So looking at the food sensitivity and then seeing, um, so that could be inflammation in your body. So looking at the food sensitivity and seeing exactly what's what's going on there. So we have people, they would then take those foods out and then you reintroduce them. So when people bring back in corn, it can flare up their asthma, bring back in dairy, can make them feel phlegmy, bring back in gluten, it's digestive issues. So it's different for everyone. So that's the gold standard. And even though we primarily deal with female factor infertility, we have the, the partner do the elimination diet as well. So even if they're like, oh, my sperm is fine, um, there's always things we can do to optimize preconception health. So we do the elimination diet, and then we also so we have access to functional testing. So we do um, a food sensitivity test. We like the Leap MRT um, right now um, that looks at 200 foods and food chemicals. So there's you know there's really no perfect food sensitivity test. Um, so that one, you know, is a decent one where, and so foods in the yellow, you'd keep up for 60 days and foods in the red, you keep up for 90 days. Um, and so you can really tweak the, 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 the diet there. Um, there's other ones too, that we, we can look at, which is a, 
um, the zoomers, which are a gluten zoomer or a dairy zoomer, because even sometimes on a food sensitivity, it could come back saying that gluten's okay, and gluten's one of the top allergens. Um, so if you really want to dig into to that, if there's an issue, the zoomer ones are probably a little bit better. And also we do a stool testing too that will, if it comes up, if the anti-gliden on the stool test comes up high, that could be an indicator of a gluten sensitivity. So basically it's have both couples do the, the, the elimination diet, tweak it further with the food sensitivity to see, okay, especially, so if you've got um, leaky gut or intestinal permeability, you can have all your favorite foods coming in um, and then your body's mounting a response to it because you potentially could have been on, like myself, hormonal birth control. So I speak to women that have been on that for, most of the time they go on, it's not for prevention that they were put on it. It was because like myself, they had acne, they had irregular periods, heavy periods, um, you know, painful PMS, things like that. So that predisposes you to nutrient um, imbalances as well as um, food sensitivities and gut infections. We see that a lot of people being on like 10 plus years of hormonal birth control. So that can then be a flag. Also chronic stress. So even going through infertility is obviously stressful, but then our stressful daily lives. And then for me, so I had, I had the stress, I had the birth control issue that I was on for 10 years. And then I also had the antibiotic use. I don't even know how many antibiotics I use. Like, like when I say like every sinus infection, every bladder infection, I just used like rounds and rounds of antibiotics. Like I look back, I'm like, I don't know what the hell, I don't even know what I was doing, Mm. but it completely destroyed like my, my gut flora. Um, and so we see this regularly too, because that's sort of the conventional method is to just to, you know, give you a pill. Um, so the food piece is key. I think a lot of people miss that piece when they're, um, when they're struggling with infertility and they may look at some other factors, but I think they miss the diet piece. Um, yeah. So I have some questions here. So can you just, I want you to make it really clear to people because I think they're probably confused. Like why would a food sensitivity make me unable to have a baby? Yeah. So it's those different stressors on the body, right? So I think, so the, the food sensitivity, the gut infection, the environmental toxins, the mental, emotional stress, the structural stress. So we don't, although people come to us and say, oh, wait, I have, you know, diminished ovarian reserve or, or unexplained infertility or fiber, whatever it is. Um, they'll just focus myopically on the, um, infertility diagnosis, whereas the functional approach, we're going to look at the whole body. It's kind of like people come to me and say, Oh, I have infertility plus, Oh, I have migraines. Well, that's a clue. Oh, I have infertility plus, Oh, by the way, I have an autoimmune disease, which is a clue. Or I have infertility and, and, you know, I have horrible digestive issues or I've had acne my whole life. And I had, you know, they tell me they've had cystic acne and they were on Accutane. So all, like all of these things are, are clues and it's, it's to dig deeper. So you're, you're, if you're taking out, there's a food sensitivity and just because you're sensitive now doesn't mean you'll be sensitive forever. So it's being able to, um, minimize the ex- exposure and really give the body, give the body a break because if it's continually mounting an immune response to the foods and, you know, you could have eaten these foods all along, but you've got those other things that predispose you to that leaky gut, the stress, the antibiotics, the birth control use, and there's a host of other things too that could, could trigger it, um, then that just predisposes you to this. And I think I've read that um, like 75% of us can be intolerant to, to dairy. And like I've read studies saying that like no one should have gluten. Yeah, It's just not for us. 
Yeah, I don't personally think anyone should have gluten. I mean, it causes inflammation in everyone's bodies, whether or not we notice it. Um, mm -hmm. But so in terms of birth control, do you think that, or maybe both, do you think the bigger issue there is what it does to the gut or, or what it does to the hormones? Yeah, like I think it's, it, well, first of all, is if you are, like if you've been on it and then you've, come off, then you've got those issues of the nutrient imbalance. And then the like it's, it's in, impacting both. So it's, I think a lot of times with hormones, people will go and do a bioidentical or like take progesterone cream or they do something to, to, to help the hormones, like as a bandaid approach. Mm -hmm. Whereas like we always start like looking at the gut, then as we heal the gut, then potentially we can recommend the bioidenticals down the road. And so as part of my team, I work with a diagnostic nutrition practitioner, a, diagnost a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. So she's the one that's going to run these tests and then develop the, the protocol based on the tests. Um, so it is really, and I help the couples implement the, the, the changes. Cause a lot of times this, you know, if you're hearing this for the first time, making some of these changes can be a little bit overwhelming. So it is taking, taking small steps every day and it, you know, amount to huge change. But like, as far as birth control, it's, yeah, the chicken or the egg, is it the fact that it destroys gut health that it, that then, then, or did you, because with infertility, most people that come to me when I say, Hey, why did you go on? Like 80 to 90% say they went on because of acne, because of heavy periods, irregular periods. They went on not for prevention. Yeah. And so then at the end of it, that issue is still there because it hasn't been addressed. Yeah, definitely. We're just band-aiding things once again. That's right. Um, so I know you mentioned you like the MRT. And then in mm -hmm. terms of gut testing, what what stool test do you like to use? And also what hormone test do you like? Yeah, so we use, so the hormone test we use is the Dutch test, so the dried urine test. And it looks at your sex hormones as well as your melatonin and your cortisol levels. We regularly see a lot of people's cortisol levels like flatline, so um, which could be indicator of like complete burnout. So depending on how many IVFs or IUIs they've they've been through and how many years this journey's been on, they just could be completely overwhelmed. So we do see that a lot, and that's kind of where that tipping point where you're like, oh wait, I've got all this chronic mental emotional stress, and then just predisposes you to other, so predisposes you to potentially, you know, gut infections and food sensitivities and, and the like. So we do the Dutch test. It just really tells us how, which pathways the hormones are going down and really allows us to then develop a customized protocol. And then the, um, the stool test we use, we use the GI map test. It looks at the DNA of your stool. And I'd say the majority of people that we work with, something comes back in the gut, be it a parasite, be it a path, be it a bacterial infection, be it a fungal infection, we see couples passing H. pylori back and forth to one another, which can be passed by saliva. I had that, I had, but I didn't have any of the reaction. Like, do you think H. pylori with like a stomach ulcer or, and GERD and acid reflux? I had none of that stuff, but I had H. pylori. Um, and so being, and we all have H. pylori, and, and but it is to if it's like overgrown. So a lot of this is like, okay, have these things overgrown, but obviously if there's a parasite, you want to be able to um, eradicate that. And it's not... Um, and you can still get a parasite, you know, in North America. So you need to travel somewhere to get one. Um, we see this very regularly um, with a with a gut infection. So then to be able to address that, because you can do all these gut cleanses and and you know detoxes and stuff like that. But if you don't actually address the thing that's going on in your gut, and so the only way you'll know is by testing to see what it is. And then we we will use a a targeted 
um, supplement protocol to to eradicate and restore the health of your gut. And then lo and behold, we see people's um, cycles start to improve, their hormones start to balance. The you know, and then you're it it just it it seems like a weird place to start, but it, that's that's how we start, and we see people restoring their their fertility. Yeah. So I know you said you have, you know, the, the, the man also do, or the partner also do the, um, elimination diet. Do you have him also take hormone tests and gut tests as well? So basically in our program, we include a blood chemistry review and the blood chemistry review, our, our thing is not to diagnose, but we're here to educate. And really we're looking at full thyroid panels, including antibodies, vitamin D, looking at iron levels, looking at all your lipids, your cholesterol, your, your ferritin, all that. Um, and to see, wait, is anything out of balance? So when we look at that, we'll look at it for both the male and the female partner. And if we notice anything in there that's, again, it's, it's, it's to, just to educate, to say, wait a minute, this looks a little bit, and we're looking at it through the lens of functional medicine. So functional reference ranges are for healthy people, whereas in conventional medicine, they're for people with disease. So this, the functional reference ranges will flag it before it gets to, to disease. So um, then we could recommend, hey, okay, we need to dig a little bit further into that. We could then, for the male partner, say, I recommend this testing for you. Um, so this is especially when he's like, my sperm's fine, everything's good, but maybe maybe he's got a food sensitivity, a gut infection. As I say, we see this quite regularly. Um, so for him, it would be doing the blood chem test and then at a, at a probably very minimum, if we find something, it's the like the one we look for the most is the stool test. So it's like, okay, if he's got a, a gut infection going on, then we can we can optimize that. And people go on to like their sperm health was fine, but they go on to lose like it, even if weight wasn't on their thing, they could lose weight, get more in a healthy BMI. Their um, yeah, it just it impacts all aspects of your life when you take this really holistic fu- functional approach. Yeah, well, I would like to speak. I would like for you to speak a little bit more about the importance of the male also paying attention to what he's doing because I feel like this is kind of overlooked. Like everyone just focuses on the woman, and Mm -hmm. I know, like when I was, you know, going through nutrition school, like when we talked about fertility, we didn't dive crazy in depth. But the main point they brought they brought up to us was it's very often the the man because a lot of the women who come to see us are already so like hyper aware of their health um Mm -hmm. and they like always look at the man and so for how often would you say do you think it's like really like he's the one more so who needs to kind of get things in check so so it is like people come to us are they do have like a typically a a male a female factor infertility diagnosis mm-hmm. um be it you know unexplained or diminished ovarian reserve POF um PCOS things like that the, so the man typically is okay mm-hmm. but when we we dig deeper and it's not and so I guess the mental emotional side of this thing why I coach couples so before I was just coaching women you know we'd be making all these changes but the, there's a whole other this is takes two to tango to have a baby. Mm-hmm. So even to get like emotionally on the same page. And so men may not, um, typically women are the ones that are, they're doing all the research. This, this is generalizing, but doing all the research, you know, setting up a, an anonymous Instagram, um, profile and getting on Facebook groups, um, reaching out, maybe sharing with a few close friends. And sometimes people don't share with anyone. Um, whereas men will do none of that again, generalizing. So, um, and so this is to have, so we're coaching couples to give a voice to what's going on. A lot of times the man thinks he has to be strong for her, that he, 
you know, but he's just, he wants to expand his family too. He's equally having as much pain that she is. So having both of them to be able to um, voice how they're feeling and that, then that he, that he needs support as well is, is crucial um, because he, maybe he thinks he has, has to be strong for her when he doesn't have to be. Um, and he can't really even ask for what he wants because he thinks if he does that, you know, how is she going to survive? So that's why we, I, so I do the couples and then really with the blood cam review and digging deeper, um, yeah, like sometimes we'll see that, that more often than not, we'll see those infections being passed back, um, between, between the couple and, um, and then just maybe things not optimized. Maybe, maybe there's a blood sugar issue. Maybe there's, it hasn't been, that hasn't been, you know, caught, or maybe there's, when we do the stool testing, maybe there's, we've seen this quite regularly too, like a, a parasite that he has, um, or maybe he has a food sense. Cause again, most people that come to me are like, I don't have a food sensitivity. And most people, when we do the elimination diet, they're like, Oh, I actually do. You know, all those headaches I was getting all that burping, you know, all those. So basically for just about the food sensitivity thing for a minute. So there's, cause people think of the food sensitivity thing is that, Oh, I just have digestive issues. So food sensitivity could be digestive issues, which are gas bloating, um, diarrhea, constipation, burping. So those things are common, but not normal. Um, acne. So uh, skin issues such as acne, psoriasis, dermatitis, skin rashes, that could be an indicator. Um, mood issues, so ADHD, you know, bipolar, depression, anxiety, uh, brain fog, that can be an issue, um, indicator. And then the joint issues, so if you've got painful joints or arthritis, and then also autoimmune disease, digging into what, you know, why that's triggered as well. So we see a lot of people come to us with undiagnosed Hashimoto's, celiac disease, and um, other autoimmune diseases that were missed by conventional medicine. And again, ours is not to diagnose, it's to flag and go, wait, have you, have you really dug into this? And so we see that quite a lot. But definitely back to the male partner thing, it's, um, yeah, there could be things that have been missed on his side. And seeing before it was 60% female factor infertility, 40% male, and now like stats are seeing 50-50. And especially with, you know, our huge food experiment we're in right now with our food being sprayed with glyphosate, which is a herbicide linked to infertility and a whole, whole host of other um, uh, health diseases and as well as, you know, all those, those, um, environmental toxins, which are very, um, harmful for male fertility is to be able to look at that stuff. It's like the environmental toxins for men are crucial, obviously for women as well, but also for, for men. We are going to take a brief pause from this chat with Sarah to talk about another way to balance out your hormones, which is actually wearing blue light blocking glasses. This is one of the easiest biohacks to uh, feeling and performing at your best. Wearing high-quality blue light blocking glasses can help get you better sleep, deeper sleep, less insomnia, more energy and productivity the next day, better, happier moods with less anxiety, regulated hunger, and like I mentioned, balanced hormones overall. You would be shocked at how much blue light blocking glasses can totally transform your life because you're finally optimizing your circadian rhythm. And my favorite pair of blue light blocking glasses comes from Blue Blocks. Blue Blocks is the only brand of blue light blocking glasses that is 100% backed by the science. 
There are a lot of different blue light blocking glasses out there and I've tried different ones and I thought I was getting benefits, but my life totally changed when I switched over to blue blocks. You really want that red lens and it has to be tested like they do at blue blocks to make sure that it is blocking 100% of the blue and green spectrum that we need to get those health benefits. So Blue Blocks offers three different lenses. The Sleep Plus Red Lens is the lens that you would wear at night that's going to help improve your sleep, reduce anxiety, and relax you. And then during the day, you would want to either get the Blue Light Clear Lens or the Summer Glow Yellow Lens. The Blue Light Clear Lens is what I use, and that is ideal for people who work in natural lighting during the day. This is going to help prevent any migraines, headaches, digital eye strain, and macular degeneration with so many of us basically living on screens during the day, you definitely want to make sure you are wearing a pair of these daytime lenses. And then the Summer Glow Yellow Lens is the other option. This is blue light blocking meets color therapy. So this is good for people who work under intense artificial lighting and or anyone who struggles with seasonal depression or anxiety or migraines. And if you want to really step up your sleep, make sure you get the Remedy Sleep Mask, which is their 100% light blocking sleep mask that is amazing for improving your REM and deep sleep cycles. They have so many pairs to pick from, about 20 different frames that you can choose from, so you will definitely find a pair that you enjoy. I love that their frames are actually fashionable. I love the Parker lenses and the crystal clear ones. They also offer a prescription service and the option to send in your own frames if you want to turn those into blue light blocking glasses. And the best part is that for every pair they sell, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision who will gift a pair to someone in need. So if you are ready to balance out your hormones and up your sleep game, then definitely check out Blue Blocks Blue Light Blocking Glasses. You can just go to blueblocks.com, that's spelled B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com, and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, for 15% off. Again, that's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com, and use that code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, for 15% off. And if you're not sure which pair of daytime lenses to get, just go ahead and shoot their customer service a message. One of the founders themselves will respond and they'll help you figure out which one is the best for you. Truly one of the easiest, best investments you can ever make for your health. Okay, now that you know all about my favorite blue blockers, let's go ahead and hop back into this chat with Sarah Clark. Well, can we like take a step back and talk about just infertility rates for a second? Because um, I think maybe people aren't as up to date. And my question is sort of, like, I feel like there's kind of a crisis going on and yes. is it, is it, but do you think it, it is that bad in terms of actual infertility or is it like undiagnosed other issues? Like would those rates go, do you think would go down if we were doing a functional approach with everyone? Yeah, absolutely. I would. But yeah, so it's like in, in Canada, it's one in six in the States. It's one in eight couples that are struggling with infertility in the UK. It's one in five. Um, and then really, yeah, like for stats, it's now showing 50-50 for male and female factor infertility. And then I go, and people think the first line of defense is when you get the, you go to your OBGYN, they're like, like myself, whoop, here's the brochure to the, the clinic, and off you go to see your RE. Whereas to me, and the functional approach, to me, IVF is your last step, so it's there. But, you know, the majority of us can get pregnant naturally, so why do we want to go there first? Well, first of all, if the technology is available, so we think, well, why aren't we using it? Second of all, like it's, we're impatient. So we're, we want to have our family now, but that, you know, so I see the people that it hasn't worked, but basically it can take an average of $60,000 
um, for an IVF to work at a cost of, uh, it'll take three cycles and the average cost of 60K for an IVF. So to me, that is a very, very expensive, you know, first time out the gate approach um, to, and people have, may have done to IUIs or beforehand, but it's still very expensive and really a functional approach is still an investment, but if an IVF will, will not address the underlying issues, your postpartum period can be a disaster. Like I, I heard about postpartum rage. I didn't think I was completely raging, but I definitely was just an irritable person during my postpartum period. Both my kids have food sensitivities. Um, and so these are the things that I could have, you know, worked on ahead of time and potentially minimized. Um, I've interviewed Dr. Ben Lynch and he talked about actually that infertility, that the gene can be passed on. Mm. We haven't, we haven't, because it's been the genes turned on and then it's turned on, turned on for our children. So for us actually examining this before we go rushing off to the clinic and, um, like everyone that comes to me is in a panic as to when, when they want to expend their family. It doesn't matter if they're 28 or 38, they're, they're past when they want to have it, but really taking that six months, the minimum to figure this out instead of, to me, it's, it's the, the clinics are a, a band-aid approach. It's a very expensive band-aid, but a band-aid approach. Yeah. We, I want to highlight what you said about the gene. So if it gets turned on, right, but we can turn it off. That's right. Okay. Yeah. We die in a lifestyle like epigenetics. Yeah. So you can turn it off. It's like things, things you can do. Yeah. Cause he said that on the podcast. He's like, I've never actually talked about this pop this publicly. Cause it can be, like to hear that, it's like, oh my God, that's like freaking scary. But um, there's things we can do with diet and lifestyle to then being able to optimize our body. And like the body's whispering, and, and, and when we ignore the whispers, it starts shouting at us in the form of disease. So there's like, there's, there's something going on here. And to not get stuck on the diagnosis, to, to look at the, the other things, if you're getting regular headaches, if you're getting like all those different food sensitivity things I'm, I'm talking about, like I'm reading, um, Dr. Kelly Brogan. She's got a new book out called own yourself. Mm-hmm. And she's a, um, a top functional, um, uh, a women's psychiatrist. Actually, she has a background in uh, neuroscience from MIT and, um, Cornell. And then, um, she, was um, a, a psychiatrist in New York City and prescribing medication for years. And then about nine years ago, she put down her prescription pad and has helped people heal from schizophrenia, bi- uh, bipolar, depression, anxiety, all with doing diet and lifestyle changes. So um, she is a freaking pioneer and like an absolute inspiration. And um, like we're just looking at this all wrong, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, okay. Wait, I have a few questions here with, so let's say you, uh, man, your gene is turned on, right. And you don't turn it off by changing your diet or lifestyle. And then you have a baby through like IVF. Um, so then they are born with that gene. Does that mean they can't turn it off? I'm not sure. This is, this is Dr. Ben Lynch saying that. So he's, he's the author of, of dirty genes and an expert on, on MTHFR. I'm sure you know. And so, um, and so yeah, that's what he has found. So I don't know if, if then that can be turned off. Like we all think that we're, you know, we like, Oh, in our, in our family tree, we have these different genes that we are, we're all, we're destined to get heart disease. And my mom has Hashimoto, whatever it is, we think we're destined, but you know, diet and lifestyle, can turn this on and there's things you, you can do to turn it off. So for me, 
I grew up in this vegetarian household. My parents turned vegan like 30 years ago when it was not cool or hip. Um, and they've been vegan, you know, for 30 years. So their, their, um, friends are all falling apart and they're super healthy. Not, not that I, I'm advocating like a total plant-based diet. That's not my thing, but, um, I'm just saying to, to look. And then I left the house and started eating like food, like on a plate that was brown. Like I just ate the standard Western diet, no variety. And for me, I just got, you know, it went to my infertility, but I also look back. So there's the environmental toxins too, where I look back, I grew up in this cedar house in the forest. It was um, regularly infested with carpenter ants. We sprayed it. It was sprayed on a regular basis. My dog died of cancer at 10. I have infertility. My brother has blood cancer. Is the fact that we inhaled all of these environmental toxins from a young age, did that have something to do with it? I remember looking in the mirror at like 12, having big circles under my eyes. Did I always have a food sensitivity? And then it just got worse, you know? Um, there was like a tipping point. It was like that oral to- tolerance they talk about, like the tipping point. Um, it is to really look at it all. And you can go down a complete rabbit hole of craziness with this. But um, to me, it's like, let's just do the, the foundational steps are, is there a food sensitivity? Let's look at a gut infection. Like, Look at your environmental toxins. You go to the Skin Deep database. You can look at your personal care and you want to you know, check for a rating on there below three. Um you want to look at your, your cleaning products, making sure that you're choosing non-toxic options, making sure your water is filtered. Like a Brita is a good step, but you can go to, doesn't filter everything out. You can go to a Berkey, which is a good one. Um, getting a shower filter because you could be inhaling all those toxins in the shower with the vapors from the shower. Um, switching out the plastics to glass. People go down the rabbit hole, go down, sometimes get overwhelmed with all the personal care cleaning stuff. And I find them like, hold, like hold back. Basically it's when a product um, is finished, you get a new one. Mm-hmm. Because if you go in and you're like, oh my God, I want to throw everything out in the garbage. It's, that's expensive and overwhelming. So it's, we take little steps to like each day making changes to minimize the, the, the risk. And then also like the mental emotional side, like getting honest about, what's going on mentally and emotionally from, you know, when obviously dealing with infertility is, it's a heartbreaking, devastating, frustrating, um, very sad diagnosis. Yeah. I love that approach. And I, I do want to, I want to go back to when you were talking about postpartum rage. Yeah. Um, like, well, I mean, postpartum depression, you know, is kind of a big topic. And so do you think that that could be avoided if people, make changes beforehand. Absolutely. That's why like focusing on your preconception health can really like if you've got some of these things going on ahead of time, it only then just gets worse mm-hmm. when you're when you're in that postpartum period. So you didn't didn't deal with the food sensitivity, the gut infection, the the and even the like the mental emotional stuff too. Like to be able right now to mother yourself before you bring you know bring a child into the world or expand your family to take time for self care to understand like boundaries to get a meditation practice in place to um, really ask for what you need, like really speak your truth and say, you know, this is what I need. And a lot of times with infertility, there's still some shame around it and could be taboo to talk about this stuff. Um, I think that's changing a lot with social media, being able to people being a little more vocal about it, but um, to, to like, it's important to, um, yeah, to, to reach out for, for help. So I think it's like we run a, mi- a mindfulness um, group. We'll just look like using strategies of, of mindfulness, like 
to be able to help people um, cope and then actually like thrive with when, when this diagnosis, when you're dealing with this. So that is equally important. So looking at sleep and self-care. Yeah. Well, what about people who maybe they haven't gotten this diagnosis, but they're still having trouble conceiving? Yeah. So if you don't have an infertility diagnosis, um, like if, or you, or you're like, if you've been, if you're over 35 and it's more than six months or you're, um, otherwise, um, under 35 and it's more than a year, then to go in and get checked. And you wanted to kind of do those basic, um, test with your doctor, right. To make sure there isn't anything structurally wrong. If your tubes are blocked that, you know, all the stuff I'm telling you here is not going to work if your tubes are blocked. Um, but to see, you know, what's, what else is happening in your body. So getting like a full physical and getting that checked out, and then you can then do, to me, I'd have everyone start with the elimination diet and dig into the dietary piece. And you can do the elimination diet, both you and your partner, and then um, take out dairy and gluten for 90 days, uh, both of you. And you have to be 100% on this. I just did a post on my Instagram feed this about this, but you can't go gluten light or dairy light because if you have a sensitivity to it, even a little crumb of the food is going to cause inflammation and mm-hmm. um, your body won't, you know, won't be able to recover. So um, 100% for 90 days. And then if you're not pregnant, then dig into the, the, the gut testing. And like, is there a gut infection? And you know what, when you're doing that, you can also look at your, your environmental toxins and start to gradually switch out to some non-toxic options. And there's tons on the market right now. It's kind of fun to, to do some of that stuff too. Yeah. Well, what's your opinion on, I feel like a lot of people say like, that so many women can't get pregnant just because they're so stressed out about getting pregnant. Like they're just so desperate to and then as soon as they don't care they do yeah that that's not really empowering yeah so yeah it's like completely oh we go and take a vacation and you'll get pregnant or just relax and the woman wants to smack that person in the face so um it is more you have to really get honest about your mental emotional stressors like if you're working a job that's 50 hours a week plus like where's the baby fitting into this whole equation if you're in a you're in a relationship i coach couples but sometimes the couples are actually not even communicating and they could be fighting not as often because most people are coming, they're trying to expand their, their family and I'm, I'm not doing couples counseling, but sometimes that ends up happening and um, you know, they have to really work on the relationship or work on their communication. Um, yeah. So it is kind of to like the, that you have to, I think in the fertility community, there is a lot of people helping, helping people with, mindset like look, doing visualizations looking at your mindfulness looking at med- meditation your self-care um and some people may know that that's really important and it is really important we have people in our group that just do mindfulness techniques and add in some fertility yoga you know rewire their negative thoughts because there's triggers everywhere on this journey from pregnant bellies to um you know to baby announcements to all your friends getting pregnant around you as you, you know, feel stuck in your life, there's all, all of that around you, but, and they get pregnant just by making those changes. So that's really huge. But I think people forget about the functional side. There's other things you can do and telling someone to relax is just, um, it's not, it's not, first of all, you know, advice is here. I'm not giving a bunch of advice. Like, yeah. I, I talk a lot on when I do a podcast, I'm talking a lot, but really when I'm coaching someone, it's like, they're doing all the talking, they're figuring out, their own body like with the food when you take out those you know those foods that that are causing issues in your body if you start to um dig into some of this stuff like you're just 
actually really getting back to yourself and understanding how your body works, what you need, looking at your patterns. And so it's really, it's like a self exploration thing and really bringing you and your partner closer together. And it's just a very, um, yeah, holistic approach to this. Yeah. Well, I, I did want to ask you this. Do you have any advice for people who deal with this jealousy around other people who are getting pregnant if they're trying to get pregnant and they're having a hard time? And I have quite a few friends who have expressed this to me, like they really want to have a baby um, and it's just not happening yet. And they're like, I just feel jealous of every every new mom I see. Like, do you have any tips for someone who might feel that way? Yeah, a lot of it is to be like aware that's completely normal. Like that makes sense. You're it's kind of the thing where you decide you want to change your car to a different model and all of a sudden you see the model of car everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. So this is like on your radar. You are you are going to be seeing and some people are just triggered by even seeing families. Like seeing a, if if they're at secondary fertility and they see a family, they it, it's extremely, extremely painful. Um the, the pregnant bellies, like feeling it's, it's a hard thing because obviously if when your close girlfriend calls you and tells you I'm pregnant, you're obviously happy for her, but you're sad for you. So it is to be able to say, you know what? So, so a couple, if you feel strong enough, you can tell like maybe one or maybe a couple of your close friends saying, Hey, I'm going through this. Um, if you happen to get pregnant or something's, you know, there's a baby shower, whatever it is, you know, I'd like you to handle it this way. I'd like you to either send me an email so I can digest it and cry and then get back to you. Or I want you to like tell them how you want them to do it because they won't know. They will either not tell you, which then makes you feel like you're not included and that makes it worse. Or they'll tell you somewhere in front of people, you'll be completely blindsided and you may, you know, so it's, it's like, what, how do you want them to do it? And I don't think a lot of people have even thought about how they want this to go on. It's kind of like, Oh, wait a minute. What would I like? You know, would I want to be told quietly? Would I want to, you know, what, what do you want and have them do that? Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Um, I also want to touch on just, let's say someone doesn't have an infertility diagnosis, but they just, they know they want to have a baby and they want to start prepping their bodies. Um, so what, what do they start to do? So you touched a little bit on switching out your personal care products, um, and kind of being aware of the environmental toxins in terms of nutrition supplementation, how do you recommend women start? Yeah. So basically I recommend that everyone should be going organic. And if that is like cost prohibitive and you're like, I just can't do it. At least the dirty dozens, the one, the foods that are the most sprayed and you can go to the, to the EWG.org and look at the dirty dozen foods. I think the strawberry has like 75 pesticides and kale and spinach are in the top three. So those are healthy foods that are, you know, filled with pesticides, so not not um, doing any good for, good for your body. So 100% organic. Um, making sure you get enough water. I think a lot of people, this was me for years, I pee like once a day and thought that was a great thing because um, I, you know, I was too busy to pee. I remember at a point where I'm like, I'm too busy to pee, like pee faster. Like that's how impatient <laughs> I was, like how crazy. Um, but to be able, it, you, you, you need – in order for the, the um, sperm to get the egg, you need their cervical mucus. So to be able to, and water, you, you need to have that to keep hydrated. So having your eight glasses of water, make sure it's purified water. Um, and then, yeah, like really um, eating, eating, basically just avoid processed food. Like if it's in a box and it's got a health claim on it, you just don't want to have it. Yeah. But just eating, you know, wild caught fish, raw, um, like, um, 
uh, what's it, grass-fed meat and, and, and um, chicken and, you know, cage-free eggs and uh, like all of those sort of um, meats and like nutrient-dense foods, you get some organ meat in there. Um, I was inter- interviewing um, a doctor about, they just did a study about the AIP diet, the autoimmune protocol diet with people that have Hashimoto's. And there was like 18 people in the study and one of them had to leave because after eight, eight weeks she got pregnant naturally. And he was talking about um, like finding a butcher that actually will do like a nice grind of meat for you with some liver and some like grass fed beef and stuff. So then you're not because the liver by itself can be a little harsh, but like to getting those really nutrient dense foods um, are important. Um yeah, I think that's kind of what, like, if it's got a health claim or a, a box or like Michael Pollan or Palin said, um, you know, if your great grandmother is like, I don't know what that is, don't, don't eat it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, but it's, the thing is like people talk about moderation and the 80-20 thing. If you do have a food sensitivity, the 80-20 rule is, will fail yeah. because you're, yeah. So that's, but um, I think the, with the, with the, the mindfulness and the mindset piece, um, like ahead of time, like just have a conversation with your, your partner. And really, I just interviewed someone for my podcast talking about, um, like connecting and really, um, like growing your intimacy because it can get, a, can be about baby making. But if you're not, if you have just starting to really connect with your partner and, um, ask them, you know, what they, what they need as far as pleasure and, and just really having a communication around how to, um, like looking at your, 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 your intimacy too can be really important to bring, cause it's all about connecting and having this really strong bond to bring the little baby in. Cause when the baby comes, it's, it can be super stressful. So taking the time now to, um, work on your relationship and work on setting boundaries and things that feel good for you that, you know, make you happy. Yeah. I think it's very interesting. I mean, I don't know how common this is overall, but I definitely hear a lot of people trying to have a baby to like save their relationship or like make it better. And I'm like, I don't think that's the order you should go in. No, like that is something for then you to step back and work on yourself. Like obviously, you know, like when when that comes, it just, it just makes things worse Mm -hmm. because of the stress, the sleep. And, and so to have that really strong foundation with you and your partner, um, and even like I'm at the end, end now where my daughter has just gone off across the country to university. And um, and so my, my husband and I have we've been together for 23 years. And I'm like, you've got more. I mean, my son's still here, but we've got more time together now. I'm like, oh, damn, like you better you better make sure you're working on that relationship, because at the end of it, when the kids leave, you better make sure you still like the guy. Like, I still yeah. like him. I obviously love him, but I still like him. Um, so you have to continually. And so now before kids to really work on your relationship and um, ask for what you need and, and listen to what he needs. Yeah. Well, do you ever come across couples that were like w- one partner clearly really wants the baby and you feel like the other one might not? <laughs> yeah. Like that, that definitely is the case where the women will come like, that's not a good fit for people working with me, but I definitely I've talked to people because people work with me. They've got to both be on board. You got an open mind. You got to both make changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely we're, um, sometimes she'll come on the call. I'm like, where's your partner? And you know, he couldn't, he, he won't make the call. And I'm like, well, because, Oh, I have to go and convince him. You know, he's not sure if he wants to expand the family and she's gone down the complete rabbit hole. Like she's lost herself in Dr. Google and she's over researching. And this is, you know, potentially, yeah, she's trying to save the marriage or for some reason she really wants the baby and the husband and, or the partners 
is not really on board. And that to me is a whole other, um, potentially if there's like therapy or, or some help there too, to, to, um, the couple has to be on the, the same page for this. Yeah. Like, well, so how do you approach that? Do you basically say like, I can't work with you unless you guys are both on the, both like yeah. in it? Okay. Ours is, yeah, ours is a couples coaching program. You both have to be in it. And really for that, it would be like, okay, I would just recommend that you go and like work on your self care and really work on what lights you up mm-hmm. to, to, to get that going before. Um, yeah. And, and explore. And if any of that stuff you're resistant to, that's the whole thing. You're like, I don't want to do any of that. Um, if you're resistant, that's an area for you to dig into further. Like, why are you resistant to looking at this? Some people are like, Oh, I've done everything. And they're resistant to even looking at the functional approach. Well, if you're, if you think it won't work, it won't work. But if you're not in your head, yes. And you're like, oh, this sounds, this makes sense. You know, give it a try. But like, if you think you've done everything, then you're probably right. Cause it won't work. Cause you won't do any of this stuff. Like you have to make these changes. It doesn't, hasn't like, I can't do it for you. Yeah. When you're coaching couples, what would you say are some of the most common concerns or themes that come up? Um, yeah, so I think it's, um, a lot of it comes up actually with communication, the two of them that maybe, um, and you know, this is typically that maybe she's not feeling heard that there's a lot of the thing with the phones kind of being in place. So I, so first of all, I recommend that both couples take the phone out of the bedroom. You can even charge it. If that's too scary. You can just charge it just outside the bedroom. So it's over there. Um, but taking, so you're not dictated by like your, whatever's on your phone, and really trying to be present. Um, we have them do the love languages. I think people have heard about that one, the survey to see um, what, you know, what their love language is. And you just go to love languages and you take the survey. Um, but there's um, physical touch, uh, access service, um, words of affirmation, gifts, and Quality action. Time. Yes. I always forget that one. <laughs> yeah. And so, well, you might be, so I'm like, I'm like words of affirmation and gifts, which I was always embarrassed about the gift one, but, um, I like giving gifts. Mm-hmm. I also like receiving them, but it's more of the giving. I put a lot of effort into it. Um, whereas my husband is access service. So he'd be out there mowing the lawn, changing the light bulb, like whatever I said, Hey, can you, you know, do that? He would, he would do it immediately. And I'd be like, okay, but I realized that's how he was showing his, his love for me was doing these acts of service. But I, because but then I wanted him to say, oh, you look cute in that dress. And it never came because he words of affirmation is just not for him. Yeah. So being being aware of what the other person needs and giving them what they need, vice versa. So instead of just sitting there going, oh, why won't he tell me I like cute? Well, I can appreciate him more for, you know, taking out the garbage or cleaning the kitchen. Like not just like we we have a division. We don't, you know, our duties are it's not like we have, we have a partnership, yeah. but like. Those are just examples. So it's like the, I think the communication there. Um, so I see that come up a lot. Um, and then, um, what else? I think it's, um, yeah, like a, a, most of the couples I are, I'm with, they're, they're very much in love. They, they just feel frustrated and, and they're in a kind of quite like a, a very sad place too. They've, they could have ostracized themselves from their social circle because they, Maybe their social, their friends are having babies and it's painful to be around babies or children. Mm-hmm. So they may have become more insular. Um, and then they may like, we do this wheel of life thing and their, their joy a lot of time is like, at, you know, a two or three, it's very low because they've, 
stepped away from a lot of the things that actually give them joy because they've been so focused on the infertility and the, and that piece. So to be able to, like, if you're like to look at things that actually make you happy, um, and that kind of, that, that piece too. So I think, yeah, it's, it's to, um, the communication piece and then also to like dig into, dig into that, piece about what what is like what lights you up and why and it makes sense and it's completely normal that you would have um um set some boundaries around this for you but maybe you can there's other things you can do that if you can't be around children there's other places you can still go and maybe and maybe you just have a discussion about that but i think sometimes it becomes very um they can isolate themselves and what people need during this time is connection but they actually end up isolating themselves which then makes it worse yeah, that makes total sense. Um, a lot to think about on the emotional side, I feel like. And I feel like mm-hmm. that can make a huge difference. So I have a mm-hmm. couple technical things I want to ask. So what are your recommendations in terms of prenatals? Yeah, so we like a methylated folate. Um, we recommend either a thorn or um, seeking health, um, a prenatal. Seeking Health has, they actually have uh, like a powder. Sometimes people have a hard time um, swallowing the prenatal. So that's the one that Seeking Health is by Dr. Ben Lynch. Um, so you want to make sure it's folate. Folic acid is the synthetic form. And sometimes people, if they have the MTHFR gene, they can't methylate the um, folic acid properly. So they want, you want to make sure it's methylated folate, do not have folic acid. And also even if it's like foods that are fortified with folic acid, you don't, you don't want those either. Um, so you want to have a good, a good prenatal. Um, and you want to take, you can do magnesium on my podcast. I talked to, um, Dr. Carolyn Dean. And so she's an expert in magnesium and she, um, doctor, and I think 85% of us are deficient in magnesium. It's so taking a magnesium supplement. Um, also a probiotic. We like, um, Megaspore. So we had, um, Karan Krishnan on, on the podcast talking about, he's a, uh, biochemist, um, from, uh, part, I think he's a part founder from Megaspore, um, talking about, this is a spore based probiotic. So you don't, doesn't need refrigeration and it doesn't, a lot of them are based on dairy, which if you have an issue with dairy, um, it, it may not work. And also, um, Megaspore probiotic, if you are on a, if you, if we do find a parasite or sort of a gut infection going on, you can take the probiotic along with the supplement and it won't kill the the, the probiotics we like megaspore mm-hmm. and um an omega it would be good um like fish oil nordic naturals is good um i think uh, those would be kind of be the basic ones also you potentially could look at a di- uh, digestive enzyme um but those are kind of the basics and then once we do the testing like those four tests we're talking about there's a hair test as well we do um then we develop like a customized protocol based on based on your testing and like i've had been, been to practitioners and walked away with bags of supplements. I had no idea what I was using them for. And they went on for years where this is very targeted. Like it's a short period of time where you take, you do take a number of supplements, but it's a short period of time and you know exactly why you're taking them. Yeah. What do you think about, I know there are a lot of like different fertility herbs and teas and things. What do you think about those? So you want to make sure with the herbs, you want to make sure that they're, um, like they're vetted because a lot of them can have like fillers and chemicals and dyes and toxins and things that are contraindicated for, um, fertility. So like I've interviewed a fellow on my podcast and he, 
Kias, there's one in New York City that's been around for years and years and years um, that that it, it, it checks for all of those different things. Just be careful. You don't want to be buying these herbs off Amazon or anything like that. And you should actually know what's in them and that they don't contain any allergens because you have people taking the herbs and then taking some of the supplements and then they have potentially a die-off reaction and it could have been the, the herbs. We don't know what was in it. Um, so a lot of people get excited taking a lot of herbs. So you want to be very clear about that. And a lot of people get, um, are doing a lot of these fertility teas. Um, those are nice to have, but really to like, our thing is to look at the other, the food sensitivities, the gut infections, the other things, fertility tea, they can be nice, like a red raspberry or like a nettle tea. Um, you want to take them in the first half of the cycle. Um, they can be good, but if, if that's like all you're doing to get yourself pregnant, like that's like that's not what we do because it's really they're very diluted um, and not a lot of um, be, like really benefits. It's, it, there's there are some there are some benefits, and I do talk about them on my website, and I've because there's a lot of talk about fertility teas, and I think but if you're just doing the fertility tea, I just think that's probably spending a there's still a lot of money. Um, on not really the best place to start, but it can be nice. I love tea. I drink it all winter. Yeah. Are there any essential oils that you like? Yeah. Like I, we're like, we like the essential oils. Again, people, if you're like, Ooh, I got infertility, I'm just going to do essential oils. Again, those are nice. Um, but it, it's not our first line of defense, but it is part of your mind. Like there's a, there's a blend you can rub on your abdomen, um, which is, um, rose, geranium, uh, fennel, sweet fennel, uh, geranium and what did I say that? Uh, clear and clary sage. Uh, you can rub that on your abdomen, and that's good for fertility. First half of the cycle, you want to use that. Um, like I love essential oils, and I have them. I had them going this morning. I had what a lavender and like a um, what did I have going a breathe like a lavender and a peppermint thing, and then I had going in the office. I had um, uh, orange and lemon for like mood. So I have on guard here for like um, spring and if there's any kind of like flus or colds around me. So yeah, I love essential oils. I think they're really nice kind of before bed to as part of your sleep ritual. Like we work with couples for months on sleep. So essential oils, um, I do find I personally use them. I don't know what it is. I just use them more in the fall and winter because then I think in the summer I have all the windows open and then they kind of seem to fly out the window. But um, I don't know. That's just how I and I, I just I love them. And um, there's a couple episodes on my podcast where we go into like specific ones for fertility. But that little blend there for your abdomen, that's a good one to use before bed, too. I love that. Okay, I just thought of a question. So because you talk a lot about how important it is to take care of any, um, you know, gut infections before you get pregnant. Mm-hmm. What if someone like finds out they have SIBO or candida or something and then they get pregnant like and so they know they have this and then they also know they're pregnant yeah like typically that's what we say you can't actually so the functional route you've got to like commit to and we say six months to commit to it because if you find something you want to make sure you give yourself enough time to eradicate it so if you're doing this and you're like Ooh, I've got an IVF next next month if we find something you won't be able to eradicate it because you yeah. can't take some of these supplements while you're doing the conventional side of things. So, and if you're actually pregnant, you can't, can't do anything about it either. So um, you would then have to wait and then potentially after breastfeeding. So that's why it's and back to Dr. Ben Lynch, who I interviewed, he talked about, um, you know, why we spend 12 to 18 months preparing for our wedding, expect ourselves to get pregnant like one month after we're, you know, we're ready to have a, our baby. Let's switch that around. Let's switch it around 
and and look at that differently um, because like if you've got some of those gut infections you'll have to you'll have to deal with them eventually you may not know what they are but then your health take a nosedive and um yeah but it's difficult if you're pregnant to do anything so like is there anything someone could do like that wouldn't be harmful um yeah it's kind of out of my realm to say um but typically we like we're like err very much on the side of caution for yeah. for that if you're pregnant like there's we wouldn't do anything invasive that could potentially could cause a die-off reaction we're yeah no you're just supporting with a nice prenatal and um, doing self-care and yeah so if there's you find something and you're pregnant it's you kind of have to wait yeah um okay and then one one more thing what about caffeine and infertility yeah, so I just did a big podcast. I just uh, did um, on my Instagram a big post on this. So basically, studies even saying one um, cup of, cat of coffee are not are not recommended for um, um, infertility. So we would, and it's linked to uh, this post. It's linked to like a whole host of. Um, I was going to see for a minute, so I literally just posted it yesterday. Um, yeah, so it's basically. Um, some people that consume more than the equivalent of one cup of coffee per day were half as likely to become pregnant per cycle as women who drank less. Um, high doses of caffeine during pregnancy increase the risk of miscarriage. Caffeine delays the transit of the fertilized egg from the tube to the uterus. Um, it's, it's, it can be contributor to um, fibrocystic breast disease, PMS, osteoporosis, uh, osteoporosis, infertility problems, miscarriage, low birth weight, Menopausal problems, hot flashes are all exacerbated by caffeine consumption. So we say, um, like, if you're drinking, basically, you don't want to go cold turkey. You want to reduce gradually. You want to do um, regular calf and decaf, down to decaf, down to green tea, down to herbal. And over the course of, the course of 10 days, drinking a lot of water, mm. um, depending on how much you're having. So I wouldn't say going caffeine-free during the elimination diet. Like, you could have, like, crazy di- like die-off detox reactions. But there's so many like really good um, coffee alternatives, like even having like a turmeric latte or doing um, oh, what's that called? The dandelion tea that can be good. But if you have high, if you have a high gluten sensitivity, you don't want to do the dandelion tea. Um, but yeah, Where there's is that? yeah, that's like just come come on um, come on recent like that that there could be. I'm not sure the exact reason for it, but the, with dandelion tea, if you, and it's interesting because I, I bought this like $35 bag of dandelion tea and I'm like, Oh, this is so exciting. I'm going to have my dandelion tea. And I had it. And I felt like absolute garbage. Like I had the headache. I felt bloated. I felt like, you know, cause I don't do gluten, dairy or corn and yeah, it did not work for me. And I've since found out that, yeah, if you have, so I have non gluten sensitivity, non celiac gluten sensitivity, and so for me, yeah, the dandelion tea, not so good. Um, That's so one we, interesting. Yeah. Can you yeah. send me that, like, was it like a research article or? Uh, I don't know if it's a study or not. Um, that was a, my personal experience. And then the functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner I work with, she's just, she, we recently started talking about that. So I'm not sure where that came from because I was a little shocked too because I've been recommending that to my clients. And then I started um, then I, when I had it, I was like, cause I hadn't really tried it myself and I'm like, Oh, this is great. And then I just felt horrible. Yeah. Well, I drink dandelion tea all the time for my liver, but now I'm like, I should cut it out and see what happens. Yeah. yeah it'd be interesting to see how you do without it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was good. That was a good snippet. I'm, cl- I'm glad that came up. 
okay, yeah. So another, so yeah, people switch off to something. I guess not dandelion tea. <laughs> yeah. Um. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been very illuminating, and I'm sure people are very appreciative of all your information. And you put out so much great content, so I really encourage everyone to go check out everything you do. So can you just remind my audience where they can find more from you? Yeah, so you can find me at Get Pregnant Naturally. It's on iTunes and Spotify. And then I also have a free um, uh, three-day fertility diet challenge. You can just go to Fertility Diet Freebie f-r-e-e-b-i-e.com and then it's um, got some um, non-inflammatory uh, foods for you and your, your partner to, to cook together and sort of get get going on some of the things that we, we talked about so yeah fertility diet freebie awesome and then Instagram too yeah Instagram is fabfertile okay perfect thank you so much Sarah I really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me it was fun huge thank you to Sarah for coming on the podcast and sharing so much about naturally reversing your infertility if you want to find more from her just go to fabfertile.com on instagram you can find her at fabfertile and make sure you check out her get pregnant naturally podcast if you think someone you know would benefit from this show make sure you share it with them send it to them and if you share it on social media make sure you tag me and sarah and that way i can say thank you if you're not already in our facebook group wellness realness podcast tribe i would love it if you join just go ahead and search wellness realness podcast tribe on facebook request to join and i will add you in and as always if you have not already left a rating and a review on itunes and you want to take a minute to show your support for the show so i know that i should keep on putting out this type of content go ahead and hop on over to itunes and do that and i would so so appreciate it all right that's going to be it for today's episode hope you have an awesome rest of your day and i'll chat with you